I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And here we are, episode 96 of Fried Squirms. We're getting and up there, man. I know, Jesus Christ. So this week we're doing Housewife, and we'll talk about a little bit of stuff before we get to Housewife, but we've been kind of excited for this one for a little bit, because we have already covered Baskin. Exactly. So we were thrilled and excited because we've been pitching ideas for certain movie remakes mm-hmm. with this director in mind, and... Yeah, it's a fun way to see what he had, you know, after Baskin. So here we are. So if you end up being at all interested in what we say this episode, remember to go back and check out our Baskin episode as well. Yeah, I had fun with that. That's all I'm going to say about that. And check out Baskin. Yeah, good film. And Housewife. Yes, please do. Firstly, how was your week? It's pretty good, man. You know, it was our Thanksgiving week. So at work, had a short week, which was nice, and just made some good food. Thanksgiving, you know, hung out with Jeff and my sister and mm-hmm. the boys and all that good stuff. Watched some football, some of it not as I had hoped it would have turned out, but, you know, shit happens. But, yeah, it's been a pretty good week, man. Caught a couple of films, you know, just at home. Picked up some movies along the way, so that was kind of cool. Picked up a couple of still books. Yeah, yeah so yeah. no complaints, man. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. I uh, haven't been up to much. I showed you earlier oh, a lot yeah. of Assassin's Creed plan. Nice. It's uh, it's really about it. <laughs> that and you know, like you said, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, this week too, we've got some snow, so it's starting to feel a little bit more like winter's creeping in. Thanksgiving went good. I just fucking hung out with my girlfriend all day, and we we're lazy, and got caught up on TV shows. So nice. I hadn't watched the last like three episode of Preacher yet. I fucking love Preacher, and that was awesome. So good to finally be all caught up on that. Sweet. And shit, I don't remember. There's other things, too. Fucking watched them. <laughs> Finished Jessica Jones. Started it on something else. Fucking it was awesome. Nice, dude. Well, I did finally get to watch all of season two of Castlevania. So, mm. yeah. So now I'm caught up on that, Sabrina. And now I'm kind of free to watch still not some caught more up shit. on Sabrina. That's okay. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. We've got some news about Sabrina, actually, here in just a little bit. All right, cool. Well, shit, I mean... Let's just get into the news. I, I don't have anything else from my fucking week, so... Yeah, so, you know, we like to see what the hell's been happening from week to week, and some of the things that kind of caught my eye were, if anybody's interested, because we are fans, but Rob Zombie has shared what Clint Howard, his character, which is going to be a clown, it's called Mr. Baggy Bridges, what he looks like in the upcoming Three from Hell. So for oh, those who are curious, that. yeah, I like Clint Howard, brother of Ron Howard. Interesting guy. Yeah, so that'll be a fun film, man. So far, it seems like it's got a pretty decent cast. So, excited about that. Some of the other stuff is we actually watched just a moment ago, but the documentary, Searching for Cannibal Holocaust, looks like it's going to be pretty decent. Yeah, I kind of want to see it whenever it's out. I didn't see anything about that, but there's a preview trailer out, and it looked interesting and i dig the movie so i'd love to learn more about it and what this guy finds out so yeah then that's kind of the fun things i like about documentaries and just behind the scenes stuff is you get to see all those neat things that go into making the film yeah and it's fun to explore it like this guy's doing what 40 something odd years later yeah so yeah. go figure. talking to some of the stars yeah it's really cool some of the places nice so another thing that i had seen that was really cool is for those who are fans of the studio a24 well, they have added their library to free streaming service, Canopy, which is including their horror films. So some of the films that I saw that is currently on Canopy from A24 is they have The Witch, they have the film Under the Skin, It Comes at Night, Green Room, which we've covered, 
The Monster Tusk, another one that you and I reviewed. Hereditary, The Killing Us of a Sacred Deer, and Slice. And there's other A24 genre films as well. They do comedies and dramas and a little bit of everything in mm-hmm. between. And I'm a big fan of their studio. They've been hitting some home runs, man. So, yeah, check it out for those who are curious. We were talking about Sabrina. Reason being, not only because of, you know, we've been watching it, but a settlement has been reached between the Satanic Temple and Chilling Adventures oh, okay. of Sabrina. Yeah, so don't know the full details. They didn't really go into detail, but they have reached a settlement outside of court. So good. That doesn't halt any future productions, hopefully, with all that nonsense. All right, so another thing that it seems, because we're big fans of Del Toro, I saw a list of unproduced screenplays that he has written. And That was just about all wow. that I had to bring to the table. I saw the same thing. He yeah, you want to mention some today. of those? Pretty uh, yeah, amazing. So this isn't just like ideas. These are full-on 90 developed. to like 130-page screenplays <laughs> that yeah. have all had at least a year, if not more time spent on them, depending on which one you're talking about because he's put a lot of time and work in his at the mountains of madness no kidding that never got off that, the ground. that would be but a good one come on guys like seriously del toro's hot right now hopefully the studios are paying oh. attention that all they have to do is throw some money his way to get any of these projects off the ground you have a reboot of the witches Dude, that would be sick Justice League Dark, which he's shared a lot of details of what his Justice League Dark would be. be Also on board. (laughs) Beauty and the Beast, At the Mountains of Madness, we already mentioned. Fantastic Voyage. Nice. Count of Monte Cristo, Mephisto's Bridge, Pacific Rim 2, which he says is very different from the one that we got, Mm -hmm. which is really weird because I've read interviews where he talked about his ideas for what he would put into Pacific Rim 2, and I thought that that's what they did. (laughs) But, I mean, it also didn't feel very much like Del Toro. It just sort of felt like some of those ideas. So I'd imagine that his would be very different. But, like, I've seen interviews where the motherfucker was talking about what he would do with Pacific Rim 2. And that's what I saw on screen when I went to watch (laughs) Pacific Rim 2. So, Well, yeah, I see what you mean. Something that's just called Secret Project. Yeah, I see Untitled. Superstitious, Nightmare Alley, Haunted Mansion... A pilot for a Hulk TV show. I remember when I heard about him working on that. The Buried Giant, The Coffin, Drood, A List of Seven, and A Wind in the Willows adaptation. Yeah, so like you were mentioning, all these are written, fully developed. We had mentioned at one time, I think maybe it was the Hitcher episode, where one page of screenplay equals about one minute of actual film. So if yeah, if he's got ninety pages to what you said, one hundred thirty pages for of each screenplay, one of those, yeah, there you go, it's full length. What are you waiting on? Throw money at it, throw bags at it. <laughs> Come on, throw all your money at it. Whatever. We're getting his Pinocchio finally, which took him years and years to get done too. So they might not ever come to fruition. There's a chance they could all come to fruition now that he's riding high off of like Shape of Water. So nice. And if his Pinocchio blows it out of the fucking park, like I'm hoping. Oh, it will, I'm so. sure it probably will. Knowing mm-hmm. Del Toro. So another bit of Del Toro news, which is interesting as well, is there is another, I don't know if they're a distributor or a production company, but Screen Anarchy, which is owned by XYZ, the producers of films like The Raid and Mandy, is reporting that Del Toro is going to be producing a remake of Damien Rugna's, which is an Artinian shocker, Terrified, 
for Fox Searchlight. So they say that the word on it is going to be imminent, like when it's mm-hmm. coming out and all the other stuff. But it deals with, you know, paranormal activity and things of that nature. So this is kind of right up his alley. It was a lot. It was really cool. So we do like video games. I know you're a big video game player. Me, I've kind of taken a backseat to that lately. But video game developer is currently working on a retro-style 8-bit Mandy game. Oh, like, that'd be damn. Yeah, dude. So... It'll be interesting to see what comes of that, but there's been some news on it. This is game designer Abel Alves behind the scenes of this one. But I think that's pretty cool, man. It's kind of an, another homage to 80s mm-hmm. NES-style shit, so that's pretty cool. So the last bit of news I have is concerning Halloween, which you and I have watched. Really yeah. liked it, yeah. So Halloween... It was dope. I was thinking about that just yesterday, actually. It's like, good, man. Yeah. yeah, go check it out. It's still available in a theater near you. But Halloween's its home video release will include seven deleted scenes and also extended scenes. And you can actually watch one now if you're perusing the interwebs. Check it out on Bloody Disgusting. So yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome, man. I'm looking so forward to... what you're telling me is I'm buying the home release. Oh, for sure. I think I've already seen a stillbook version of it. It looks pretty dope. I'm kind of becoming a slow fan <laughs> of stillbooks. They're pretty boss. Yeah, so it's going to be awesome, man. There's some really kick-ass films that are going to be coming out, mm-hmm. you know, 2019. So, yeah. Outside of that, that's about the only things that really caught my eye. You know, there's some other stuff going on, TV shows coming up still. So we'll see what happens. There's one actually this week coming up. I think I might check out because it's only going to be out for one night nationwide. The House of Jack Bell. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so Wednesday night, man, I might go check it out. And if I do, I'll let you know about it. Cool, cool. Yeah, I don't have anything coming up. What I have coming up is us talking about this movie. Yeah, yeah. So let's stay spoiler-free, but get into the guts and bolts of Housewife. Guts and bolts. We mentioned we like to try to keep it spoiler-free. We talk about who and what went into this movie before we talk about the movie itself. Yeah, and on top of that, we like to give you a little synopsis of what this film is about. We try to pitch ideas on some of the people either behind the scenes or the actors that are involved. And maybe you've seen them in other projects, and it's a selling point. So, yeah, we try our best to pitch that. I don't think that's going to be the case with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed, but, I mean, you never know. You never know. So, synopsis first. A housewife is dealing with an extremely traumatic event in her past and runs across a religious guru? And things just take a turn for the surreal from there. <laughs> it's hard to really explain, but it goes weird places with a little bit of sexy times. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I was quite all right with that. I think that's a good brief synopsis of what this film entails. And, you know, we like to talk about the people who went into making it. And we're no stranger to the director, who's also one half of a writing team on this project. But we've talked about John Evernall in the past because of Baskin. And 
This is his sophomore release because Baskin was his big premiere, and this is his follow-up. If you're watching this, it's probably because you already liked Baskin. I would hope so. That's but the big not, selling you know, point across yeah. the board, though, for this movie, written and directed. He did have a co-writer. Exactly. So some of the projects, and we've talked about them before a little bit in Baskin, but he's also worked on the project The Field Guide to Evil. He helped direct the segment Carissi. He's also responsible. Which I really want to watch now. Yeah, I know. Also, we'll get to that. Let's okay. let's put a pin in that because he's all about a very certain... Anyway, keep going. No, no. <laughs> all right. Now, he's also helped direct five episodes of a show entitled Protector. He's also responsible for Girl With No Mouth, which is currently in post-production, which is slated for a release next year. It seemed like it was in post-production before... The- I don't know how quickly he got to working on it, but it seemed like he must have started working on it directly after being done with this. Nice. I'm okay with that. Um, He was even already talking about it. This week I actually did way more homework than normal because all the normal places I look for ideas and people's reviews and information and this or that, not many people seem to have seen this movie yet, so a lot of those avenues didn't really exist. Yeah, I agree with you there. And so I went down a rabbit hole of interviews with Chan. Nice. And he's a really cool guy. For sure, man. Yeah, I've watched a couple of interviews and some Q&As at some of the festivals. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. So I know a little bit more about this movie than I thought I would, but it's mostly trivia type shit. That's okay, man. I'm, I'm kind of with you yeah. there. It's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah, so we mentioned that John is one Second-hand trivia shit, because you're not hearing it from John himself. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. It wasn't like we were there, but yeah. it's still nice. So, Jem Ozaduru actually helped with him, because he was one of the writers as well on Baskin. He's also worked on such projects, and these are all Turkish names, so I'm probably going to butcher them. So Jesus. Hang, I, I hang saw some me. of the names, and I... Good luck, man. All right, so one of them I have is Aslanlar v. Jelenlar. That's the other one I have. The other project that he's helped write on is Sia Simbar, Wolf, which is a TV miniseries, which came out this year. Now, our cinematographer on this is Taman Tekken. He's worked on such projects as A City Runs to the Festival, which is a documentary. He's also the cinematographer on Carnival and a film entitled Siren's Call. Like so most of these people are all Turkish, so if you're familiar with Turkish cinema, you're going to be familiar with some of these titles. All right, our editor on this is Osman Beyrakt Farglu. He's helped edit projects such as The Fall from Heaven, Frenzy, Grain, Dead Horse, Nebula, Sofra, Sirlari. And we also have another one in this, which is kind of weird. This guy gets credited like just a little bit of editing. The other guy helped actually edit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, this gentleman is Virat Gular. He helped with Bojack, Dirin's Karate, and Dir Sadat Apartmani. These are all Turkish projects. Our music on this is done by Antoni Mayovi. He's helped with such projects as Hangman, Fonotune, An Electric Fairy Tale, and Mutant Blast. He's also done short project Harsh Reality. Our special effects on this, and I put a little pin by it because we did talk about a film just a little while ago, but he's also the special makeup effects artist on such projects as Everything About Mustafa, Conquest 1453, The Butterfly's Dream, and I thought this is really cool. So he helped with the prosthetics life casting in Halloween. Oh, from this wow, year. that's crazy. Yeah, had no idea that we'd be talking about somebody involved with the project. Dang. But that's, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. 
Alright, so this was produced by Metin Antar, Mujay Boyaktalas, Aaron Ozugul, and Vixens. They helped co-produce this. Production companies were Anka Films, Shantir Films, and Mo Films. Distributors for this was Shantir Films. They helped with the 2018 Turkish theatrical release. RLJE Films helped with the 2017 USA DVD release of this film. Release dates, it premiered in France. This is on September 8th, 2017 at the L'Etranger Festival. They also had a U.S. premiere on November 3rd, 2017 at the Denver International Film Festival. And it had a wide release in Turkey on August 10th, 2018. And there is a tagline. I don't have any budget for this. I don't have any box office numbers because it's still pretty fresh. But the tagline I have is there's only you in your dreams. I like that one. Not as much, though. I keep trying to find this poster. I can't find it anywhere, but I see a lot of people use this house while I fart, and it's got a tagline on there that I think I like a little bit more. Yeah? Maybe not. The Dreams is a little bit more spot on for the movie, but family requires sacrifice. That's pretty dope. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Both of those are kind of on the nose. Mm-hmm. These are really cool. So those are the people that I have who helped make this film. Now we can talk about some of the people who were in front of the camera. And a lot of these people, I don't know. Fuck, I don't, yeah. For the most part, because they're either Turkish actors, one's a Danish actor, and one's a French actress. I do have a little bit of trivia on who was supposed to be the lead actress. Yeah, so do I. (laughs) It's just interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'll lead off with our main actress, and this was done by Clementine Poydat. She plays Holly, a.k.a. the housewife in this film. Now, I do have a couple films that she was on. Now, you might have actually seen her in a film with Kirsten Dunst, if you've ever seen Marie Antoinette. She was in that. She was in a film entitled Vendure. She was also in such things as Shut in Mars, which is a television series on National Geographic, which is currently still airing, which is kind of neat. The Danish actor I have in this was played by David Sakurai. He plays Bruce, who's also the ULM leader in this film. He's been in such projects as... Right. We should... Danish-Korean. Yeah, Because if you go looking for, sure. for a white guy in this movie... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name Bruce... Oh, well, Bruce in this film, but David. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going to be <laughs> throwing a curveball. But you're right, yeah. Because he definitely looks more his Korean side. No doubt about that. <laughs> All right. He's been in such projects as Tour de Force. You might have seen him in The Last Demon Slayer. He was also in Dark Samurai. There's a film entitled Liza the Fox Fairy. He's in an upcoming film, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh, yeah, that just came out. Yeah, which is really cool, man. He was also in, I think, at least an episode of Iron Fist. He plays Scythe. Yeah, was it on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty dope. All right, the next actress I have in this is Alicia Kupedag. She plays Valerie, and she's been in such things as Rear View. And she's been in a lot of Turkish television series. I didn't want to name all of them because I'd be butchering those names left and right. So, Hey. Yeah. She's known for being Turkish in Turkish TV. TV. Yeah. Which is cool. <laughs> the next actor I have is Ali Aksos. He plays Timisin. He is the husband of Holly in this film. But he's been in such Timur. things. Yeah, Timur. <laughs> he's been in such projects as The Mountain, Antidote, and Karayel. The next actress I have is Daphne Halman. She plays the mother of Holly in this film. She's been in such projects as Lifelong, and she's also a Turkish television series actress, so she's been in a lot of television series. Mm-hmm. I have two other actors. One of them is the young Holly, 
and that was played by Ziri Sen, and I also have the young actress who played Hazel, that is Ilif Gulalp, and this is both their debuts. Okay. Yeah, and outside of that, I know there's some other actors and actresses, but that's pretty much who I wrote down. And that's the most important, probably. Yeah, I mean, other there's than, like a, other than a maybe dinner the hip, family. I was going to say the hipster couple. Yeah, but I didn't recognize either yeah. of them. No discredit, but just, <clears throat> yeah, they're not in it very long. But yeah, that's pretty much the cast and crew. I gave you a tagline. You gave them a synopsis. We should give you some warnings. Warnings for Housewife. Ooh. There's some gore. There's some gore. Some good gore, actually. Really good gore. Really good gore, though not much. No. I will say. Not even as much as Baskin, where, in my opinion, it was pretty held back till the end anyway as no, well. right, yeah. Though once it got going, it got going pretty well. Yeah, in your face. Same with it. I mean, there's some good shit in this, but it's not It's not the same level. No. But still, good gore. Like, fuck. There's, there's a couple pretty rough things, so. I agree. I uh, like it. But there's a lot of sexuality in this movie. Adult themes, yeah. Adult themes. Is there any language? Not harsh, but I mean, there may be a little bit here and there, but nothing out of the ordinary. There's some super natural kind of stuff that if you're not, you know, comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, there's like culty kind of things. I don't yeah. want to get too spoilery, no, but because there is it will culty. Start getting, kind. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can kind of guess there might be some some sort of culty Very stuff going from the beginning anyway. Yeah, I mean, kind it's... Kind of. Yes, we'll get into it, but yeah, I agree with you there. But yeah, it, outside of that, man, it's... So this is another one of those, I feel, that's very atmospheric. If you don't like those style of films, it might turn you off a little bit. I'd say this movie, it definitely is a little bit more about the emotions and the uneasiness that it creates. Oh, yeah. Rather than what's the cold, hard facts. So, if you don't like movies that follow dream logic, (laughs) you're not going to like this movie. Yeah. This is very much a dream logic movie, so. Yeah, exactly. So that's what this movie entails. So if you made it this far and you're curious about what actually happened in this film, listen to us squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. You must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? All right, here we are. How did that make you squeal, Danny? We finally got around to watching The Housewife after watching the fucking bonkers-ass trailer like five, six months ago, whatever it was. Exactly. So we had this one on the radar for a little while, and because of last week's episode, we decided, you know what, let's go ahead and try to get caught up on this one, too, because it was one of those that we were anticipating watching at some point, so yeah. Yeah, first, I think we told the story because it was how we ran across another movie as well, but this was a movie... One day we were looking for inspiration on what we should do the next week, and we ran across a bunch of different lists online, and one of them just had trailers, and it didn't have much information other than the name of the movie and, like, two sentences in the fucking trailer. And so we're like, oh, let's check this out, whatever. And we watched, like, 10 or 11 different trailers. Yeah, we watched quite a few. And we got up to this one, and we watched the trailer, and we were fucking digging it, and we're like, oh, fuck, dude, this seems weirdly like like this doesn't seem anything like baskin but it seems weirdly like baskin like, yeah exactly 
this is fucking weird. Like, who the fuck? Let's look up shit about this movie. And you typed it in the fucking database. And go fucking figure. It's John Evanroll. Like, Ev- fuck yeah. Evanroll? Evanroll. John. <laughs> exactly. And since then, we're like, oh, cool. Like, we're on board. We're excited. So I think we both went into this with high hopes. Yeah, exactly. And this is another one, too, where I feel we've already alluded to the fact that this is a very polarizing film because of that dreamlike narrative that it has. That was was the thing. I I guess I did go in a little bit worried because lately I'd noticed a few people online had sort of given this a little bit of a shot while they were just browsing through shit to rent on Amazon. Yeah. And I kept seeing people be like, eh... Yeah, it's all right. Like, I'm not going to rate it that bad, but most of the reviews were kind of middle of the pack. Exactly. Five out of ten star, sort of. Yeah, somewhere between five and six, roughly, but you're right. Yeah, that's. Like I said, it's one that's right down the middle. Either, you know, without saying too much, either you're really going to dig it because of those elements, or you're really going to be kind of like, eh. Like I said, it might not be your style, but that's okay. I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily. Yeah, but when it comes down to it, before we get into talking about the minutiae of the movie, I might have liked this more than Baskin, personally. I don't know if I'm willing to say that, but I enjoy the shit out of this film. I, like, I really dig this film. I wouldn't have said that after the first viewing, but after I had that second viewing this morning yeah. to take my notes and stuff, I just I followed the dream logic of this one a little bit more. I loved that this one is Lovecraftian. Oh, yeah. That's That's definitely a draw for me. Huge influence on this film. I mean, the synopsis that I wanted to give for this movie, but I felt like it gave away the ending too much, is this movie is basically The Abyss meets Dagon. You can say that for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it had some really cool elements in this film a lot. And yeah, there's reasons, of course, you know, we'll delve into, but wasn't quite sure what to expect i didn't really read a whole lot of reviews or just people who've seen his reviews i just saw the scores saw the marks and i was like all right let's do it and yeah i checked it out earlier in the week normally i reserve our viewings for the weekend for the most part Mm -hmm. but i caught this like i think the day after we recorded last week's episode (laughs) and i was like all right so i started jotting down some notes and get my first impressions and i was like all right i kind of get the grasp of what he's wanting to say. And you're right, I think it was the second time through. I was like, God damn, this is good. So yeah, I guess with that, man, you want to start definitely, jumping into? This is weird. I think I might personally like this more than Baskin, but I would probably still only give this like 7 out of 10 stars, where I'd give Baskin more like 8. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. a really weird thing to say, and I don't know how I can justify that yet. And if I can later on, I'll figure out. But I know what you're saying. So fucking anyway, this movie... Let's talk about a couple of the things we found out first, because we already talked about the cast a little bit, and <laughs> this movie was almost a lot more weirdly visually interesting. Considering, yeah, you're right, you've already alluded to the fact that he had somebody else in mind for the lead. Stoya, almost. Yeah. And for those who are familiar or unfamiliar, she's an adult actress. Yeah, I read an interview with Sean on uh, Rue Morgue. And he recounted the story. Apparently he's really into porn and has really been wanting to work with a porn actress. And somebody had an in. And so he's like, cool. Uh, fuck, really? Like, that's who you have an in with? It's not even just like somebody's small name. You have right. fucking an in with Stoya. And it seemed like it was going to go through. And then 
she ended up calling him like a month away from production, weirdly pulling out because she just then noticed that Cthulhu's in it and had something weird against that. I don't know. Uh, who knows? But that's kind of a funny pun there pulled out. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it could have been a different film, but because of some of the sexual nature that is in this film, I could see why he had her in mind, you know. But I will say this, though. Clementine, she did a really fantastic job of she did an amazing job yeah. uh, and he seemed nothing but in all the interviews i saw wow. he just continually praised her and david yeah sakurai yeah mm-hmm. they were phenomenal in this project now one of the things that i see that people kind of i won't say bash it but have some critique about is the fact that because this film is an english dialogue film which i wasn't expecting me either not, not after watching baskin and I was like, oh, good. I don't have to really necessarily have the subtitles on. Which I have nothing against, but it's just it's like, all right, cool. I can follow it probably a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But because these actors and actresses, this is not their native language, some of it's a little stilted. But I also feel like that was kind of its intention to begin with. Otherwise, it would have been probably in Turkish. He did address that in one of the interviews. And he was super stoked to do an English language production. He said it reminded him of uh, like spaghetti westerns growing up. And like all the movies that he loved growing up were American movies, so they were all in English. So for him, it was like, this is me getting to fucking make it, guys. Like, yeah, exactly. I get to make an English. It's not like I have to make one, it's no. I get to make an English language production. Yeah. So. I like knowing what he had in mind, not only mm-hmm. for that, but because. This movie, in a lot of sense, and I think he's even mentioned this, is that it's kind of a love letter to a certain time period of genre that we've done before. (laughs) So, okay, let's skip around a little bit, because I kind of made a note about that. He's mentioned a couple times that this movie is an homage to 70s and 80s Euro horror. Yeah, and that's something that I really dig, too. And So, as far as this almost being kind of giallo-ish... Like, how much of that did you pick up on, and what did it do for you as someone who gets down on giallos? Oh, that right there alone, knowing that he's a fanboy himself of such directors as Fulci, who we've covered, and Argento, and Mario Bava, Lamberto Bava, all these other guys, probably Martino, all these names we've mentioned before. But I was like, man, I like it. Some of it, too, that really stood out, not just the cinematography and the way that it's very atmospheric and the color palette schemes in this was the score. It reminded me of Fabio Fritzi that we did in Beyond. Like, just kind of minimalistic, but it builds that drama and and that atmosphere. So I actually managed to write down the exact influences for the score. That's what it reminded me of. Let's see, because you're going to know probably at least these first two. I don't recognize the last reference at all, but you might know that one. But I know you'll know the first reference. One of the inspirations for the score was the uh, Stendhal Syndrome theme. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good film, man. I like it. It doesn't have high praise, but I like it. Then combined with some Carpenter. Yeah, I can see that. And Badalamati. I don't know if I know that name. No, I maybe. maybe it's Turkish. I don't know. Yeah, but still, I I can understand because it does have the creepy, atmospheric. It's not overdone. It's just very minimal. I mean, like, I think one of the most tension-filled scenes is it's just like two pianos, and one of them are like a toy piano. Mm-hmm. It's just, I like it, man. It does just enough to Dude, this score was fucking brooding. killer. It was so, so good. This yeah. movie really needs to be looked at for that. I More than I see agree. a lot of people. 
a lot of people aren't bringing that up when they're talking about this movie. And it is a superb score. Yeah, kudos. And definitely a score that shows the influences of the 70s, 80s era horror. Totally agree. When I was listening to it, there was times where I was like, this kind of reminds me of the fact that we just watched Suspiria like a month ago. Like, Yeah, I mean, he's showing his influence on his sleeve on this, and that's okay. It's like, it's done just well enough for people who are into that subgenre of horror to really appreciate what he's doing. You know, he's paying these nods, and it's really well done. Yeah, the cinematography as well. I have to give my hats off to that because some of it does have that Suspiria feel. Some of it's kind of with the dreamy-like things going on. Yeah, it's like, ah, this does feel like I'm watching maybe The Beyond or something of that genre. Okay, so at some point we'll actually talk about what happens in the movie. But we are jumping around. But The Beyond thing actually really interested me because when we talked about The Beyond... We talked about how the movie wasn't really intended to have, like, that much of a narrative, and it's just supposed to be, like, this collection of scenes. Yeah. Then as I was reading through interviews with Sean, this fucking stood out to me, because I'm like, it's so much like The Beyond. It's so much like a couple other things. Like, what the fuck is going on? And, like, I kept thinking, like, if people don't like this, I can understand, because it just seems like... A collection of different ideas that were threaded together and he did an interview with the daily dead and he said uh, and i'm going to paraphrase a bit here but i approached it like i was never going to do a movie again wanted to throw my brain out in the same manner that i did with baskin and grab hold onto the ideas in your mind and try to connect them to make a coherent story you would see what fits and what doesn't and then after that it would evolve into the actual characters But he basically did just have an idea of a bunch of things he wanted to see. The ones that fit together that he could make a story into, he put together, dropped off the other ones, and then created the characters to inhabit those scenes. It's really interesting. When we get the advantage of watching it, for the most part, watching these films more than once, you know, we don't just watch it once and then try to give you your initial impression. We get to watch it once, usually for our initial impression, of course, and then our second ones are for notes. And that's where I tend to find like a lot of things where I had a general idea of what was going on and give me time to reflect a little bit. And then the second time through, especially with this one, I was like, ooh, this is, man, he's doing a really good job of weaving this story in these fragmented ways. Some of the dream stuff almost kind of reminded me of like the time travel stuff in Donnie Darko. Yeah, for sure, man. There is a lot of time loops that I know because we talked about Baskin that he's playing again with this. One thing we should probably point out, too, without getting too far ahead, is the different use and tone where Baskin is a lot more masculine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all gentlemen for the most part in that film. Whereas this one, it's more feminine in its storytelling. And you can definitely feel it, too, with the characters. It's just really interesting, man, like seeing these different crafts that he's using and this different elements in this film. All right, so let's, let's get into the movie a little okay. bit. Which is fucking crazy right out the gate. (laughs) It really is. It's good. Seven minutes into the movie, I had to stop, which I think is right around the time the title card comes up anyway. Pretty close. I sort of stopped and like rewound it, and I rewatched the first seven minutes like three times, my first time (laughs) through, because I was wondering if I missed something. Is this picking up from somewhere else? What the fuck was going on? Yeah, it's really quick, like the sequence of how it starts, and then that seven-minute mark, you're like, there's a lot to digest. Yeah, it starts with... The mother of Holly, who is the main actress in this, she's like doing this prayer with a rosary. That's how it starts off. And it's Holly's initial trauma. 
Yes. That she's dealing with for the rest of the movie. Even initially, like three minutes into the movie, despite what happens to Hazel just like a minute and a half later. Jesus. I immediately was like, okay, I don't have anything to base this on because (laughs) I'm not female. Right. But if you start your first period and that is your mother's reaction, then no matter what else happens, that's already a traumatizing event. I know, right? That would be traumatic. I've got four sisters, and I can only imagine, like, my mom going in there doing some shit like that and what their reaction would be. I know my sisters well enough. <laughs> like, what the fuck, mom? Jesus. Yeah. I was immediately like, oh, Jesus. Like, so that's going to traumatize her for the rest of this movie, right? Nope. Because Hazel doesn't live much more than a minute after no. that. And that's the shocking thing. And so, yeah, my initial impression was just, you're right, just kind of trying to make sense of the whole opening, like what's going on. And it does. It takes off fast. Her mom gets Holly to count to 100, and she takes Hazel off. And that's that minute and a half later where she opens her eyes because a door opens, and she finds this little doll. And then she descends down the staircase and into the restroom. <laughs> And that's where she discovers her mom and Hazel. Okay, this is going to be a hard movie to talk about because of the dream logic and the time loops. And how much of it I'm not sure is real and how much of it might be real and was influencing the real world in the last half of the movie. Yeah, dude. So the visitors are like his visitors, right? From the future when Dickwad makes his thing, right? It took me the when second Dickwad view. When Dickwad has yeah. his Scientology group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I keep definitely... calling him Dickwad. He's not that bad of a character, no, no, actually. No, no, no. He's a catalyst for things. But yeah, the second time through, it made total sense. I'm calling him Dickwad because he's also kind of an evangelical preacher. Well, yeah, I mean, that was kind of... I think that's why I'm calling him Dickwad. His but... intention. Yeah, and one in particular we'll talk about. But yeah, it definitely really made sense so more the second time. seeing them peeping on her past... While they're trying to figure out if who the right one is. Yeah. And I wonder how much that was like a vision to begin with. Like almost a prophetic vision of sorts. By the way, just because you you did mention that this one's much more female lens. You could take away from this movie that when you get through it all. That Holly doesn't really have any agency in this movie. And that's true. But it's for the very specific reason that this is a very Lovecraftian tale. Yeah. And it's all about... An inescapable destiny due to hereditary issues. Yeah, you're right. This is another one that deals with... I put at the end of this one... I didn't really jot it down, but I made mental note that this film really does have to do with like passing down de- yeah, from generation. like, But not in a good way. <laughs> no, no. Not when you figure out what this whole cult and what this whole film and the final sequence is about, that whole final third act. It's like, look, nice. <laughs> I like that. But the mother was against it. She was trying to kill the daughter to keep them from turning her into the mother of... (laughs) The second coming, basically. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I did put this down. Like, the mother, at some point, she went against the woman who we find out in the painting, who Mm -hmm. that is, and what her relation is to everybody female Uh, The grandmother. Yeah. I mean, she was the matriarch, is what Mm -hmm. I wrote down, like all right, I see what's going on here. There's this connection already. There's an heirloom that has a significance in this film, not only in what unravels, but also I feel like with some of the dream sequences itself. 
I need to, like Inception. I, need, I feel I was about to say that it's it's almost like Inception. I feel like I need to watch this movie another time and follow the amulet closer, yeah, and see what that might say about the dream sequences as well. One thing that kind of tipped me off to that was I knew that it was Valerie. important, especially with the way that it got passed around through some of the different oh, sequences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was like a shell game, and I had a hard time following <laughs> it through some of the shit to try to figure out what it means. Yeah. And what it means for what might be true or not. I know what you're saying, yeah. I think it's kind of like a totem of an, an Inception. It really is. But I'm not sure how it's a totem yet. Yeah. This film, like you said, because of those dreaming sequences, it's not always given to you directly. You have to weave through all this stuff to latch on to, like, oh, that's... Okay, I see what's going on here. That's another thing I like about this film. is It's a little bit of a thinking person's film, too, because of all this stuff. But one thing I was going to say that kind of tipped me off about the heirloom, not only is it its significance because it's blatantly shown it to you, but the character of Valerie, she has a certain ring on, and there's a dream sequence that happens that Holly wakes up out of, and then when they do have their meeting, you can see it, it's kind of captured in the shots. Like That was what maybe led her to seeing her dreams or being in her dreams. Like All this stuff is weaved together. That was really cool. Is that when Valerie visits her in her dreams before she shows up just like a minute later? Because yeah. I fucking loved that. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I'm alluding to is this is such a, I know we're jumbling it around, but because of these cult members and because I feel like the grandmother was a, probably a cult leader at one time who maybe even founded that cult, who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the significance of the well, I mean, amulet she's things basically, like that. The grandmother is basically Obed Marsh, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- this movie is yeah. kind of Dagon. You're talking, this movie's Dagon. Yeah, so if you're talking in those senses, yeah, for sure. I mean, structure-wise, with the journey she goes on and the meeting up with the church and the adventure, even oh, though her version is surreal and in a dreamscape, this movie has almost the same exact structure as Dagon, doesn't it? Really it really does. I mean, even down to like finding out this family, this ULM, was founded probably by your family. That's why they call mm-hmm. it your family. They're just honing you in because of those series of events that transpired. They're bringing you back in. They're hurting right, you back because, in. Right, because, oh, because as soon as shit went off when she was little, yeah. that became a it, big it, deal. And it so was an they interruption. Yeah, they wouldn't have been able to keep with what they were trying to the do. sacrifice, per Dad se. presumably was in the cult. I feel like even the husband, probably in this film, unknowingly, because he's so close to the esoteric to begin with, that he might have been a part of the family, but he was another interrupter that had to be taken out of the picture. Mm-hmm. He was interrupting the flow of things. Ooh, yeah, Tim, Timmy. I have to say that one of the, the first things in this movie, when he first showed up, not when he first showed up, because the first when he first showed up, he's on top of her. Yeah, he's banging out. <laughs> Which also, by the way, I was like, oh, we're going into, okay. <laughs> like, we start with the first period, and then when we cut to her grown up, she's getting banged by Timmy. By I'm like, this is going to be a sexy movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, it has a sexy moments, like you said, but we also learned, too, that she's taking birth control pills. So we already know that probably because of those series of events, she's not ready to have children because her childhood was so traumatic. But from the moment he was first actually interacting with her and when they showed some of his art and stuff, yeah, I kind of felt at first, I mean, now we know kind of the time loop and how he's possibly influenced at the end by a, I don't know how that time loop works, but it seems like it fits in. But So with his art, though, 
I felt like he was some sort of psychic vampire. I'm like, he's not a good husband. He's just with her because she's got all sorts of problems. Yeah. And he can make use of that. And then he gets called out later by <laughs> David. Does. Yeah, exactly. You're a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I, I kind of read that from the get-go. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't like this dickwad. Like, when yeah, exactly. when is it going to pop off when he does something bad? And he never did anything bad. He was no. just never good or helpful for... Right. He was taking advantage of... of the situation. Of, yeah, yeah. Particularly her situation and her whole, you know, what happened at the beginning of the film. And, and how it allowed him to live, because... Yeah. He was making a living off of her, Not just was... He was and making a living off of her, and they had their own unicorn for a while. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> I mean, that's not bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's still fucked up. Now, here's something, too, that really... Second time through, there was a, a few things. One thing in particular was like a dead giveaway. It's like, oh, this right here pretty much spells out exactly what this film's about. One of them was at the beginning of the film with the sisters, Hazel and Holly. Mm -hmm. And I think Hazel drew a picture. Yeah, and it's the picture. It's basically... What happens at the end, essentially. So that was one like, oh, that's pretty... Okay, they're basically spelling out the end. The other one was when Holly is rifling through her husband's, like, his computer, and then there's a book that's on his study. There's also a knife that's get used at the end, too, that was oh, like, oh, yeah. that's kind of clever. But the book itself was talking about filicide, mm-hmm. which is when one kills their own son or daughter. In this case, it's the mother killing the daughter. But I was like, oh, that whole thing, too, the title of the book. I was like, that's basically what this movie is about. It's about dealing with other things, larger things. But Holly's narrative is she's dealing through this tragedy because of her sister's death and her father's death through the hands of her mother. I thought that was kind of clever, too. Like, it's already spelling some of these things out if you pay attention to some of those finer details. So some of these things in this movie, like I said, were just ideas that he had that were stitched together into a narrative. And that fits with all the dream logic and this or that. I did think with the unicorn situation with Valerie and Tim and Holly, there was something I thought was set up, but this isn't the kind of movie that would go that way. And I felt like if this was a little bit more mainstream, then you probably would have had... I think you would have had a situation, and this could have made the movie, I think maybe even a little bit more interesting, even though you would have had to make it maybe 30 minutes longer instead of the nice crisp 120 that it runs. Yeah. It seemed like they both were way more into Valerie, and they were kind of waiting for her to make a choice than they were ever into each other. They were just still with each other because Valerie left. And maybe I'm pushing something onto it Mm. there, but I kind of seemed to get that a little bit, but it was something that was never explored because this movie's not really about that. Yeah, I know know what you're saying there, but there is a significance to it. Some of that, too, with like the menage a trois, it reminded me a little bit of some of the Rosemary's Baby kind of influence Mm. on this Mm -hmm. film. More so to do with the fact that when it gets played out, Holly has a different view of who her husband is. Well, and this is also, the Rosemary's Baby thing is interesting because this is kind of like an Antichrist movie yeah. that just happens to be Cthulhu instead of the devil. Yeah, I wrote that down. I was like, this movie, because of its homages and it's tipping its hat to, so yeah, it has an apocalyptic, doomsday, Antichrist feel to it. So yeah. It's just not 
Christ. No, no, no. It's yeah. like you were saying. It's more Lovecraftian than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cthulhu, Hagen. Okay, so we get to see some of her crazy, well, not crazy neuroses. Like she had something really fucked up happen to her. So yeah. now she shits and sinks. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. I understand. Watching that too. After watching it, yeah. A lot of this stuff... It's really interesting. I mean, I, I think that's kind of neat that they would even think about that. I think so, too. It made some scenes towards the end a little bit harder to take seriously when there was some very serious shit happening yeah. with people emerging from toilets. Okay, that's another thing I felt was more symbolic, not necessarily of the... Well, kind of the tragedy, but mm. more so because I felt like... Maybe this is me looking into it a little bit further, but because blood was coming out and it was symbolic of like the water breaking, mm-hmm. like childbirth, and there's a child coming out of the toilet who also happens to be her sister. So it's kind of like combining like childbirth m- and tragedy and fulfilling things. Miscarriage type ideas? Perhaps too, yeah. So I, I know some of it had to do with childbirth because she's avoiding giving birth to children in the first place also sean loves childbirth what the fuck's up with that yeah i think that's had uh, a weird birth element to it at the end i believe he recently had a child not too long ago i know he has a young child this was something he was doing before he even knew that his wife was pregnant that's well yeah good point but uh, i can see like because he's telling a matriarchal story with this one he's already told more of a paternalistic male dominant society tale yeah, so maybe he's doing, like, both of the family balancing acts. Yeah, I mean, I guess he just does family in a way. But, I mean, yeah, kind of does. Because the segment he did was all about, like, the birth of a djinn. Ah, oh, that's pretty neat. So this ends up being kind of the birth of a demon-ish. Well, yeah, in Baskin, too, there was a mm-hmm. weird demon spawn. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> it is really interesting. It's he continually does narrative. that, so I guess... It could be just a cycle of life thing, too, yeah. and his influence. It's going to be weird if the girl with no mouth has a birth in it, because it, uh, I know huh. that that's all about children. <laughs> well, that's interesting, man. Well, I also we'll don't think it's going to be rated R. Huh. I think he's aiming for a PG-13 on it. It's going to be a dark children's tale. I'm okay with that, too. It's like four kids running from hunters. I don't know why they're running from hunters or why they're being pursued, but each of them is missing one of their facial features. Huh. So, like, one of them is going to... Obviously, the name is... No the, Mouth. The girl with no mouth, but somebody's not going to have a nose. Somebody's not going to have eyes, I would imagine. Ears. Probably ears, yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun to see what he does mm-hmm. with that. But you're right. Birthing or some kind of weird baby thing. Even with the children cult in this one, too. I thought that was kind of neat. So I have, due to not a childhood trauma, but I do have a weird thing with the toilets due to <laughs> do a childhood recurrence. Does it have anything to do with, look who's talking? No. Oh, God, no. No, that's hilarious, but no. <laughs> Mine's not nearly as bad as that's her, where, funny. like, I have to shit in sinks. Yeah, yeah, I've never had to do that. Or the bath. Yeah. But when I was growing up, if, like, me or my brother were feeling sick, like, to our stomach at all, we had to go sit by the toilet. Yeah. It's like, parents weren't going to put up with the bullshit of just, like, vomiting the fucking living room. No, you're going to sit next to the toilet. So you have to go sit next to the toilet. Yeah. And to this day, like, if I'm feeling sick, like, I try not to look at the toilet, because if I look at the toilet, it makes me hurl. Yeah, it's uh, a gag reflex. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, it doesn't matter. Toilet's clean, dirty, whatever. Like, if I'm feeling sick to my stomach, if I see that toilet... That's interesting. I can't say I had the same with toilets. (laughs) Can't say I had the same one. But I did think it was interesting. I even wrote, that was, like, one of my major notes is... How the toilet does have a significance in a weird, not only in a weird way, but of course, what happens. 
you know, to Holly and how all the the toilet, no pun intended, how all this shit mm-hmm. <laughs> unravels because of it, the significance behind it. But I know that was something that was brought up by a few people who did review it was, you know, the fact that she pees in tubs and sinks and stuff like that. But looking on it, it's like, well, I mean, would of you course, want to yeah. do that if you had seen what happened to your kin? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be fucking around with toilets. We get to the dinner. It's a little bit more clear that her grip on reality is slipping. Oh, yeah, with the kid? Her, yeah, her nightmare is sort of bleeding into... Here's something I thought that was interesting, too, with some of that dialogue with the hipster friend. was He cleverly said that he wrote an article about the ULM. He was describing it, but as he's explaining this stuff, and then when we see them at the conference seminar... He's a total fanboy. Yeah, he well, knows all about it. He's a member. I feel like some of this, too, was like they kept setting her up. Like they were reeling her in. He was a part of it, too. He's, he was a part of the family. It's obvious. <laughs> but he doesn't portray himself like that at the dinner. He just, I wrote about this weird group. Yeah, I, I noticed that, town. too, and I thought it was a weird switch. And I'm like, I, it's got to be. I mean, obviously, he's a fanboy, and he's trying to get her there. But I thought it was a weird switch. And Yeah. I um, do feel like throughout the film, like, that cult, they just kept barely emerging from behind the scenes where they kept reeling her in, unbeknownst to her. I kind of wished that when he did that, somebody would have, like, shot him a stern glance to be like, shut the fuck up, like, you're fanboying out. Yeah, you know on, what dude. I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, first rule, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, you played your part, you got to fucking keep with it. Like, yeah, exactly. But you're right. He was fanboying out a little too much with Valerie. I want to jump ahead just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just because okay we've that. already sort of talked about some of the weird parts of the time loop. And especially because her first encounter with the guy is just kind of like... I mean, if if you've watched one YouTube video <laughs> of a fucking evangelical laying on hands, then you've seen what fucking goes on in this scene. Yeah, for the most part, you're absolutely right. But we go forward to when she's having like her actual... That's the one thing, though. I will say, I don't know if we ever get out of the dream from that point yeah, on. Yeah, I this, agree. In this movie. There is a point where, yeah, there's a lot that's going on that keeps looping on itself because of her dream states. And he makes mention, Bruce, that is, Mm -hmm. that is a maze. But there's a second time she goes in if she ever did come out. And that second time she gets some revelations thrown her way. Do you think she actually did kill her sister? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Or do you think that's the cult fucking with her? I think you can look at it in both ways, and I'll explain. I think if you were going to look at the approach like, yeah, this has happened, it's because of the significance of the umbrella itself in this film. Bruce comes out with an umbrella. The whole organization is the umbrella of love and mind. The significance of the umbrella is when she goes back in, or was it the first time through where she's confronting her fears and she sees that she stabbed her sister in the eye, mm-hmm. Hazel? So all of that, that I guess symbolically would mean something to her, and she might have been suppressing that whole memory. And then in the other case, with the cult, as I feel like, yeah, that could be a way of implanting something in her mind to make her confused and then... Yeah, were they the ones that put it there through some of the time? I can see that too because of their visitors. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine the higher ranking up ones, like the family members, the ones in cloaks, probably can tap into people's dreams and manipulate some of that stuff. There's not many scary moments in this movie, but it makes you feel uneasy. And when you really pay attention to some of what might be making you uneasy is that the cult in these dream sequences with her seem to be possibly changing reality yeah she might not have killed her sister but they made it so she did i can see that that's how i feel a little bit one of these now like you know thinking more about some of this stuff 
is she has that one sequence where she wakes up in the middle of the night while she's rifling through her husband's belongings. And you see that cloaked members kind of dart out of the room with the mm-hmm. dollhouse down into like that storage shed or building that they have. That weird nursing thing, I still haven't figured out how that all That I feel like in. that could be part of the manipulation is like they're tapping into her fears and making her confront those fears about motherhood and what happened with her mother and sister, etc. So it's just another way of maybe controlling some of those aspects that she's dealing with. So Valerie, with her dream knowledge towards the end was trying to sabotage it by bringing Tim in. Timmy. Because they needed Holly to be part of their family and not his. But she knew where it was going and didn't want to subject her friend to that. And we see all how that played out. And that also made me feel like with all the dream stuff, it reminded me, God, I feel like it must have been in Sandman. I can't remember. But one of Neil Gaiman's works, they brought up the idea, and this is really badly paraphrased because I wasn't going to take the time to fucking track it all down but just that things don't have to be real to still be true and that's kind of the point of stories to begin with and so it kind of feels like a lot of the uneasiness is that they're using the dreams to determine what's true for her whether it was real or not I know what you're if saying. that makes sense. Yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, yeah. that goes back to the inception thing where it's like they're planning ideas. And I think that's kind of the fun part about this film is how much of it, you're right, is it 100% based in reality? Or in this case, like what you and I are spitballing back and forth is these are implants. Like they're implanting certain things that have already played out, but they're manipulating the narrative because we have to take into account that we're relying on her memory as a child and as an adult... As a traumatized child. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes those events don't always line up the way you remember them. Our mind has a weird way of doing that sometimes. Right. And even if she did, still how much, because of what we've seen of how much they interact, was it still the fault of the visitors and not something she could have escaped anyway? What I thought was really cool, too, is, well, I won't say the fact, but the part where she revisits herself, like the beginning of the film, Mm Mm-hmm. When she appears, and then the mom is, you know, saying, be gone, visitor. And I like that because it's a way of her maybe seeing outside of herself from in that moment and either trying to help her grasp the reality of that situation, what happened. I mean, and obviously, this is partially because there's only so many things you can do with what the camera is showing you. You could have went odd, weird split screen, but I don't think it really would have fit in with this type of genre movie. But the way that that sequence is shot is it almost makes it feel like she was able to send her consciousness back and forth between those two versions yeah. of herself to see the scene from different angles just as we were. That's another clever device is, is as how you get to perceive these things, yeah, from different narratives in the story and how it all relates, like the beginning is the end, the end is the beginning. It's just this big time loop of her confronting her biggest fear and, of course, what happened. I mean, I already brought this movie up a number of times, but should we point out that they do straight up Dagon it at the end with the fucking face rip? Oh, dude, yeah. Hell face yeah. Face flay. All right, one thing, because I was listening and watching this with headphones on both times, is when he is flaying the mother's face off, the screams, I think they're dubbed. I'm almost 100% sure that those screams are dubbed because it almost sounds a little schlocky, and I don't know how intentional that was because it's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, it's grotesque, it's horrifying, but those screams kind of make it a little hilarious. And then he puts it on, and like, this motherfucker, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does really go. That Lovecraft, Dagon. It's craziness, man. The whole scalping was awesome. Oh, man. Shrouds of the Baby in the Flesh. That, yeah, that, <laughs> that was... Oh, good. that was fucking gnarly. I was like, ooh, what? <laughs> I, like I didn't think it was going to do that, but the whole time when all that was happening and they were getting ready and you kind of knew that something... You knew that she was going to become a mother because, like you said, it's been woven throughout this movie that... There's been a lot of shit with her fear of becoming a mother, but they're setting her up to become the mother of the second coming or whatever it was. Precisely, precisely. And I love the little fucking cuts back into the room with everybody applauding her. But anyway, that's... That is really clever, too. That was super fucking clever. I do like that, yeah. Especially with the dream logic that's going on. I fucking loved that. Like this is happening simultaneously. But I was like, oh, fuck. He's not going to fuck her in front of all the kids, right? Like this movie's not going to go there. (laughs) Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. But I see what you mean. I was like, well, she's they got her basically laid out for it. But instead, he just does his weird magic instead. Yeah, the whole thumb in the mouth. (laughs) Just like that. That was weird, too. That's kinky as fuck. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. The laying of the hands once again. And some of that CG was pretty good, too, with when she gets impregnated. I thought that was really good, man. Wasn't anticipating the egg or the sack or whatever you want to call that. Me either. When it was the sack... At first, I thought something went wrong. And I was I like, kept look, baby and I kept that. looking for them to be pissed, like maybe it wasn't her, and like dude pushed it, and like there was oh, going to be some. Oh man, weird... that would have been gnarly. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because there was that weird moment yeah, of doubt he... earlier in the movie. Yeah, you're right. Where he has that whole Jesus moment. Yeah. Why have I forsaken myself? <laughs> yeah, but it's him talking to himself. <laughs> that was fucking. You're right. He doesn't know if she's the master visitor, and he reassures himself that she is. And I was wondering, oh, maybe if he was wrong, the sack showed that something was wrong, but then nobody was acting like anything was out of whack. Out of whack. So yeah. then I just started started waiting. I was like, something's going to come out of the sack then. So I was wondering, too, how much maybe like David Lynch influence it would have been with like the Racerhead baby coming out of that sack. That so, would have been pretty awesome. You know that I actually haven't watched any David Lynch. Something it, I need to rectify. It's not high, boy. It's not high for you to do so. Something I need to rectify. This I know. But there was a scene in this movie... Because I've heard the term Lynchian used before to describe certain things. And so I have an idea in my mind of what Lynchian is. Was that bar Lynchian? I felt like that was more with Kubrick. The twi- with the twin bartenders and the weird shit. And... No, I felt like that was more Stanley Kubrick. And okay. I'll, I'll explain why. I felt like there was a scene that kind of spelled it out. Did that bar fucking blow your mind, though? That weird, like, three-second pan across the bar? I liked it a lot. I liked that. It was, a, a, like, establishing shot for the bar scene. Mm-hmm. But one part that I was going to say that stood out to me was when Tim was balancing the tennis ball against the wall as Valerie's talking to Holly. Mm. It's like, he's kind of doing the whole Jack thing in that moment, you know, balancing the, the ball. He happens mm-hmm. to be an author and a painter, etc. Trying to get inspired for his, I guess, his cover art for his new book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they show that scene at the bar, which is another Jack moment, because who's the first person that greets the bartender? That's yeah. right. Okay. So I felt like that's a little bit more Kubrick. Lynchian, to me, is like the surreal moments. Like, you're watching it, and it follows a certain logic until you get to that surreal moment, and you're like, what the fuck was that? Well, see, I guess I ran across that a little bit, because also with that bar pan, you start on the, the bartender 
serving someone and it comes across the bar and it's this weird broken up background because it doesn't seem like it's normal bottles at the bar it's like the weird however they have it decorated yeah and you come across to a bartender that looks exactly the same i, I know not you're saying doing there. anything i mean there are some, i know he's he has some influence watching Lynch i guess Tins. that's what stood out to me about yeah. that was just the weird like you see one guy and then you see the exact same guy but it's not the same he guy. does do that and sometimes. i know how twins work yeah but. <laughs> and the, here's something too that i think that was clever device in this film was the use of mirrors i felt like that was also like symbolic of like the disjointed view of oneself mm-hmm. like you can't really trust the narrative of our main character in this story because of the dreamlike sequences that happen throughout. So that was kind of neat. I liked the dolls and dollhouses. Like she was keeping these mementos holding onto her childhood. And the first traumatic thing we see, of course, was the whole period. So already probably implanted in her mind that when you achieve womanhood, it's a bad thing. Yeah. It's a bad thing because that signals that you're ready to give birth and she's avoiding it. She even has a panic attack, an anxiety attack outside that little grocery store. So it's like I'm catching on. I mean, not that it's like super cryptic. It's pretty much in your face. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was neat. Like he's giving these ideas of her struggles as a woman and what her ultimate goal is at the end. Like she's used to become the mother of the second coming, which is, you know, it's kind of spelled out, of course, but. I still think it's kind of a neat way of that transition. She's scared, and then she's accepting at the end. I didn't actually think they were going to do the tentacles coming from the sky. Did I didn't either. Uh, no, I was like, fuck like, yeah. It, even no. though we saw it in those pictures a few times, did you think no, that we were I honestly ever did not. fucking see it? Yeah. At, first, at first, I thought, I was like, oh, that's cool. It's kind of like some tornadoes coming down. I was like, oh, no, those are tentacles. That's pretty dope. Well, at, at some point, I still thought that it was going to twist and be like Satan, too. Yeah, it has more of that. I think, honestly, it gives more of that vibe than the whole Cthulhu. But it's there. I mean, But no, it's it on, really it's, is. It's there, especially when I think back on it. I didn't think... I thought normal satanic the entire time through my first viewing. I think the it's... The second viewing, yeah. when I was taking and paying attention to details, I'm like, oh no, this is a lot more like the random Cthulhu cults that spring up in the stories oh, yeah. just because he <laughs> exists and like... Yeah, I mean, they do a good job doing that in this film, And really. the fact that people even create art, like, in sculptures yeah. that allude to him just because he exists and shit starts happening in their nightmares yeah. and their dreams. I mean, the, then I remember the use that, of the prophecies and stuff, too. Then I remembered one of the fucking collections is even the dream cycle of H.P. Lovecraft, and he yeah. used to love dream logic, you know, used dream logic and a whole really bunch cool. of shit. So I was like, no, never mind. Like, I just... This is Lovecraftian. Yeah. Like, so I, th- I think that was the really cool thing about this film was how he weaved the Lovecraftian with the influences of that late 70s, early 80s Italian horror with Fulci and Argento and all those guys. It's if it's Dagon really, was a giallo. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that would have been a really interesting way of just surmising this film. Was, yeah, if Lovecraft and those Italian directors, giallo, gave birth to a film, it would be this guy. Yeah. Or this gal in this case. <laughs> the fucking horn blow. Yeah, the ram's horn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First off, I liked the scene, but it looked a little bit cheesy. <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't help but think to my... <laughs> what if the horn blow happened and the fucking bikers from Mandy showed up? That would have been dope. <laughs> I'm like, fuck yes. All right. This is a dream scenario, but could you imagine those two guys together making a film? 
how epic that's going to be or would be. What if that horn wow. blow was the horn blow that we heard at the end of Red State? I was thinking that too. That would have been <laughs> fucking hilarious. This is a big prank. Somebody mash up all three of those. Red State with this going in the background leading to the oh, horn yeah. blow. That's but funny. with the bikers from Mandy showing up. <laughs> I could see all, all of that playing out. That'd be awesome. Also, bringing up Mandy, did you think we would end up watching another movie this year that's just so awash in red and blue? Oh, no. I mean, but I like that. I mean, you're starting to see, and this makes me think this too, because we're in that kind of generation now, where these directors, they're showing what influenced them growing up. And that was just some of those films that probably, like for me and you, we have certain films that we watched growing up that are major influences in why we're into horror and probably if we were to make film we would somehow weave that into our storytelling but yeah you're right it's like i kind of like that though it's harkening back certain stylistic things that in horror that i don't know if i ever got lost in time but it didn't really show up until more recently really Mm -hmm. fuck i don't know i think i might like this one more than baskin yeah i I know what you're saying though with the ratings i think baskin because of his debut it's like a really fucking just gnarly film like and I kind of feel like I might need to rewatch it again after watching this. Yeah. And I'm wondering if understanding the dream logic in this movie will help me go back and repick through Baskin better. I think, you know, without saying too much, but I, I do think that it probably is going to help whether this is the first film you see, you know, which is not our case, but it probably would make more sense given how this film plays out and then Mm -hmm. seeing how Baskin plays out. Yeah, I think it would probably make more sense. He likes to use in all those dream states, the time loops, the Lovecraftian thing. I really like that about him. Yeah, I'm super excited. I really want to see The Girl With No Mouth. I'm super excited to see what he continues doing. I'm a fanboy. Uh, Now that I know he loves porn, I'm going to expect to see (laughs) more movies, probably more like Housewife than like Baskin. But I mean... Whatever. I also know that he loves gore, though, too, so... Oh, I mean, we did talk about the fact that this film has some gore, and it has some good moments of it, for sure. Oh, I guess that's one other thing I wanted to touch on real quick, was that the actual scares in this movie come from jump scares. They do. But they're not not cheap jump scares. They're effective. They're not like some kid just, like, putting their hand across a fucking window when you're not expecting it, and it's not actually tied to what's going on. It's tied to the surreal aspects. It's somebody running at you down a hallway, and then when they jump up at you, they're suddenly a bloody corpse. Horrific, yeah, exactly. It's weird shit that's going on that just helps aid the breakdown. Yeah, somebody had wrote, and I've read a couple reviews from fans of this, but... uh, I was surprised at the number of jump scares in this, though. There's not a lot, but there was three or four big ones. There was one in particular, like, it kind of got me a little bit, too, because of the way uh, it jumps out at you. But some of this, too, I I don't know who to credit, but it does feel a little like a video game landscape, too, with, like, some of the Silent Hill Mm, kind of atmosphere. That's what I mean by it's just very atmospheric, and I like that about this film, too. Yeah, fuck, I, yeah, I super dig this movie. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the fact that I can understand why... This is a polarizing film for some viewers, but for fans of what we just mentioned, all these films, all these directors, if it's, it's right at, at least home. checking out. If it's right at home. If you've seen all those other movies all, you know, yeah. a couple times, there's no reason not to watch this one. Yeah. I and mean, get something new in. Maybe, maybe some you of the won't acting, like it as much, but maybe some of the dialogue will throw you off, but 
on, the main two are on though. Clementine, is that it, right? Yeah, Clementine Point Dots and, and David, uh, David. They're both on point. Yeah, I thought everybody did a, a mm-hmm. great job. I mean, it wasn't like a standout performance, but the, everybody held their own. Yeah, fucking go check out a housewife. Check people. it out if you like Lovecraft, all that shit. Yeah, um, it was fun. And also continue listening to us by hitting please do like subscribe. However, you're listening to us right now, and we're going to continue to try to make ways to you know expand that. We're not currently on Spotify, which I know does podcasts now, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there soon. I swear I'm working on it for like the third week in a row. (laughs) That's all all good. But seriously, that'd be awesome. Or you can always go to our website up at the top, www.friedsquirms.com. Up at the top, there's links to other ways to listen to us down at the bottom. You can always stream the latest episode. All throughout the middle, we have links to the Instagram, the Twitter, and the Facebook. Fried Squirms across pretty much any of those. If you search it, you'll find us. And you can always contact us through our website or at squirmcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we love hearing from you. You know, let us know. Give us some any... recommendations. Yeah, we love those. I mean, we've talked about the fact of how many really cool films that we've had thrown our way. And they wound up being like really fucking awesome films. So we uh, love recommendations. And we also hate thinking. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it, but sometimes it helps take the load off of us. <laughs> But, you know, another thing, too, is we should mention, you know, if you're into making films, if you have shorts or projects or anything, if you like horror in general, you want to talk about it, let us know. Maybe we can work with you. We want to talk. We enjoy it. We're fans. If we could talk with you, we'd like it more. Yeah, exactly. Expand our horizons. Ah, yeah. The event horizon. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Anyway, I don't think we've figured out for sure what we're doing next week yet. So for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Out.